what do you reckon Jesus is doing right now at 10.37 a.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time? This very moment, what is Jesus up to? You know, where is he? What's he thinking about? What sort of a mood is he in? You know, all the kids in the service today, how about you guys? What do you reckon Jesus is up to? What is Jesus doing? It's been almost 2,000 years, right, since he ascended into heaven. What's been keeping him busy in that time? I, for one, might run out of Pokemon games to play in 2,000 years. What is Jesus doing? How about in relation to you? What does Jesus think about you right now? How is Jesus looking at you right now? You know, he sees the deepest inner workings of our hearts. What does Jesus think about you? How about if we go a bit deeper, if you think back to the last time that you did something which you know is wrong, which maybe you're a bit ashamed about. If you're a Christian, the last time that, that you sinned knowingly, knowing that, that that was the wrong thing to do. What was Jesus doing then? What was Jesus thinking about then? When you did that, in that moment, what did he think of you? These are the sorts of questions which we're going to be answering this morning. As we approach Christmas, we're thinking about the heart of Christ. That's our sermon series title for Advent, the heart of Christ. What is Jesus like? What is Jesus thinking about? What is Jesus doing? Adam started us off a couple of weeks ago looking at Matthew chapter 11. Uh, in Matthew chapter 11, we see Jesus describing himself as gentle and lowly in heart. Last week, Ben explored John chapter 6, where we see that Jesus will never cast out any who truly come to him. And this week, as we turn to Hebrews chapter 7, we'll explore what Jesus is doing right now and what that means for you and for me. Now, we'll be jumping into the last few verses at the end of Hebrews chapter 7. Uh, and as you'll see, we're jumping into a conversation about an important topic, which will take a bit of explaining. But bear with me as we read Hebrews chapter 7, verses 23 to 25. I'm reading from the NIV. You can follow along in your own Bible or on the screen there. Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. This passage gives us some insight into what Jesus is doing right now. It tells us what he always lives to do for us, but it also contains some key foreign words and concepts which might not be familiar, priests and priesthood and intercession. If we're going to understand the good news of this passage, we need to understand the meaning of those words. So let's explore what Jesus is doing right now through these three headings. First, our need for intercession. Have you ever had somebody represent you? It may have been a lawyer or a real estate agent or maybe a sibling who went to mum and dad to say something for you. Somebody who represented your interests to someone else. Well, this was the job of the priests in the Old Testament. They were called to, to represent God's people before God. 
But why, why was that necessary? Why, why did we need this whole priesthood system? Well, because God made people to live in close relationship with Him, knowing Him and serving Him. But the first humans rebelled against God, sinning against Him. A rebellion which affected all of creation and all people who came after. And every person who's come after, including me, including all of us, has added to that with our own sinfulness. So there's this divide which has been made between God and His people. A separation in, in, in the close relationship that was designed. And that's not an easy thing to fix. Because God won't stand the very presence of sin, not because He's high and uppity, but because He is totally good and pure and righteous. He is perfectly just, and that must mean that He will punish any rebellion. So, how could a, a sinful person be reconciled, be made right with this perfect God? How could we go to God to find a forgiveness? And more than that, how could any person, including me, ever stand up to and respond to the constant reminders of our own inadequacy and wrongdoing? Because there's also another being at play, right? The one who tempted Adam and Eve to rebel in the first place, that being the accuser. That being Satan. Did you know the name Satan actually means accuser? He's always seeking to accuse us, to say to us that we're outside of God's love, that our shame is too much, and to accuse us before God when we fail. That voice which takes the stab of our conscience and twists us to tell us to hide from God in shame rather than bringing our guilt before Him. We need someone who can stand up to that accusation. We need someone who can intercede between us and God. It's not that God's always constantly seeking reason for judgment, but that we are constantly sinful and that Satan is constantly accusing. We need an interceder. An interceder is anyone who comes between two parties to make a case for one on behalf of the other. Like a lawyer whose job might be to, to intercede on your behalf with a judge in response to accusations you might face. So, God came with a solution. God always had a plan. He gave His people a system which pointed towards the answer. He appointed priests, and these priests were to follow ceremonies to make themselves ritually pure, symbolically so, and then they could come before God on behalf of the people. They could represent the people to God to intercede. They were to bring along offerings with them, offerings which represented the idea of a perfect substitute who would take the penalty for sin. But this system of priests, it could only ever be a temporary placeholder, right? The verses we read before reflect that. They could never provide a full and ongoing substitute for sin. And part of the reason for that is that they're limited by death. They couldn't continue to intercede. Even if they could intercede perfectly, right? A perfect priest has only got about 80 years in them, you know, after training, maybe 60, and you never know, that could end at any time. So the priests die, and then there's no one there to intercede. It's an obvious flaw. How can we have eternal certainty without an eternal representative? Well, this whole system, including priesthood, was set up by God intentionally as a pointer to Jesus, a pointer to the one who can be our ultimate interceder. Sort of like, you know, if you've, uh, maybe in your early 20s, this is an e a recent memory, you know when you get your driver's license, 
And after you pass the test, eventually when you do pass the test, you get that piece of paper. It's a printed A4 sheet and it says you've got a driver's license. Well, you don't have it yet, it's on the way. It's a piece of paper which is meaningful, which you can show to an officer with real authority, not because the paper itself is special, not because the paper itself is a license, but because it promises that something is coming, the real thing is coming, it exists and it's on the way. That's what the system of priesthoods was designed to do, say there is a perfect eternal interceder who can pay the penalty for human rebellion and he's on the way. Jesus is that perfect, great high priest, the ultimate interceder. And that's the point which all of Hebrews 7 makes. It's worth reading the whole chapter, but unless you want me to stay here until 12, I won't preach on the whole chapter. And it's something which we see summed up in those verses of, of Hebrews 7, 23 to 25 there. Let me read it again now that we've got that insight. Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus came to take our place, to be the substitute who took the penalty for human sin. And having paid that penalty, he is also the one who applies it as our interceder. God himself provided the solution and God himself closes that separation which has torn humans away from him due to their rebellion. So what is Jesus doing right now? Well, Jesus is interceding. Jesus is praying for us. Jesus is caring for us. And Jesus is bringing us before himself in glory. And that's not surprising when we look at Jesus' heart for intercession right through the Bible. That's our second key point, Jesus' heart for intercession. Because his heart is for his people. We've seen in the last couple of weeks that Jesus is gentle and lowly in heart. That he will never cast out those who repent and turn to him in faith. God loves his people. He cares for them deeply. And Jesus himself is the perfect expression of this, right? Most powerfully in all that he has given for us, giving himself on the cross. And we see his heart for intercession, for, for bringing people back into right relationship with God. It's on display all through the Gospels as we look at Jesus' life. If you pick up a Bible and just flick through those Gospel accounts, you see things like Zacchaeus, corrupt, reviled by people around because of the way that he abused them for his own gain. But Jesus comes along, sees him in the tree, speaks to him kindly and gently, calls him by name, goes to his house. Take the woman who's caught in adultery. She's dragged out in public in all of her disgrace and all of her shame, treated with contempt and disgust by the people who have pulled her out. But in that moment, treated with tenderness and love and compassion by Jesus. That's the heart of Jesus. That's the heart of our God. And it's on display all the way through the Bible in all the ways that God interacts with his people. A story of God's deep care for his people, calling them back to himself without ever compromising on his perfect justice and his perfect righteousness. Where anyone would have reason to condemn or accuse, he has put himself in our place. As the, as the payment for our sin and as our interceder applying that to wipe away the grounds for any accusation. And that is what Jesus is doing right now. 
after, his, after Jesus' resurrection, he ascended into heaven. As we read throughout the Bible, he is now seated at the right hand of God. Now, saying that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God doesn't mean that he's taken a bit of a rest, 2,000-year breather, just sit back and watch things happen. No, Jesus is seated as king. He is enthroned at the right hand of God. He rules and he acts from his throne. He doesn't need to be at work earning salvation anymore. He's done that. It's finished. He's paid the price once and for all. He has taken his seat of glory and he applies that salvation. He intercedes for us always. As we read, he always lives to intercede. Where Satan seeks to accuse, Jesus is ready to respond. Where we bring imperfect prayers, he is always there to intercede. And that's a truth we see all through the Bible. Take, for example, those glorious, encouraging words of Romans chapter 8. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. I read an article this week by a pastor called Scott Hubbard, and he puts it so well. He says, at our right hand is our accuser, but at, right, at God's right hand is our advocate. And for every argument the devil speaks against us, Jesus speaks a greater one. He not only died to remove our sins, and he not only rose with his finished work in hand, glorious events of ancient past, but he also lives now and forever to plead his people's cause. And if Christ is in heaven interceding for us, then nothing can separate us from his love. Not tribulation, not distress, not persecution, not famine, not nakedness, not danger, not sword, and certainly not the accusations of a devil doomed to die. Christ has taken our condemnation. He has given us his righteousness. And as long as he lives and reigns in heaven, no accuser can keep us from him. Jesus has made himself our great high priest. He stands there in the gap on our behalf, and he is there because he is gentle and lowly in heart. He is there because he will never cast his people out. His present work is to always intercede for all those who have come to God through him. That's where his heart lies. That's his deepest desire. If Jesus had a bed to get out of in the morning, his heart for us, his intercession for us, would be what gets him out of bed in the morning. But he doesn't get out of bed in the morning because he doesn't have a bed because he's always interceding for us from the right hand of the Father, enthroned in majesty. If you're a Christian, if your trust is in him, what does it do in your heart reflect on, to contemplate, to really drive into your heart the reality that right now, Jesus, the creator of the universe, the one who died on the cross, the lamb who was slain, this moment, he is praying for you. He is interceding for you. You are on his heart and his mind, and he is not disgusted, he is filled with love for you. That's what's going to put fuel in our tanks when we feel down and deflated about our own failures, about our constant mistakes, about our constant inability to get it right. That we have an eternal interceder. He's always by my side. The one who paid the price for my sins 
it's always interceding for me. Imagine if you could hear Christ praying for you right now, interceding on your behalf, answering the accuser, because that's what he's doing. With Jesus always interceding for us, the accusations of the devil and the accusations of our own minds have about as much sticking power as a Nerf gun has killing power. None. And that's great news because the third and final thing we see is that his intercession is both complete and eternal. Because Jesus is not like a human lawyer in a courtroom. You know, if you hire a lawyer, eventually there's going to be some sort of charge, some sort of accusation, which they can't make go away, which you're going to have to answer for. And if you hire a lawyer, eventually you're going to run out of of money because lawyers are really expensive. So like, I reckon I could pay a lawyer for maybe a day standing up for me in a courtroom, then I'm broke. He's going to say, sorry, mate, money's gone. I'm out of here. You can deal with it yourself. Jesus is not like a human lawyer standing up for us because there is no time limit that he's going to put on his interceding work and because there is no part of our hearts, there is no sin so deep that he can't cover it with his death. As we see in Hebrews 7.25 there, therefore he is able to save completely those who, who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Now, that word completely there is a a word of total finality. It could be forever, or if you've got the ESV there, it could be to the uttermost. Uh, As a pastor and author called Dane Ortland, and he writes, we all tend to have some small pocket of our life where we have difficulty believing the forgiveness of God reaches. You know, we say we're totally forgiven, and we sincerely believe that our sins are forgiven, pretty much anyway. But there's that one deep, dark part of our lives, even our present lives, that seems so intractable, so ugly, so beyond recovery. To the uttermost, in Hebrews 7 verse 25, means God's forgiving, redeeming, restoring touch reaches down into the darkest crevices of our souls, those places where we're the most ashamed, the most defeated. More than this, Those crevices of sin are themselves the places where Christ loves us the most. His heart willingly goes there. His heart is most strongly drawn there. Do you ever find yourself sort of feeling like you've, you've steered your own ship of life into some massive storm of life that's your own fault and Jesus is sort of standing over there waiting for you to finish, sorting out your own mess, and, and, and when you're finished with it, you know, you'll sort it out and then you'll go back to him and it'll be okay again. Do you ever feel like that? Well, that's never going to be the case because Jesus saves completely and he always lives to intercede. Have you maybe drifted away from him? Maybe you've done some stuff and you're sort of afraid to come back to him because how he might look at you. Well, no, he saves completely. He always lives to intercede. Do you sometimes doubt the unbreakability of God's promises to you? He saves completely. He knows us completely and he saves us completely because his heart is drawn out to us completely. There's no level of sin which is too much for him, which he can't handle. And so when we're being tempted, when we're we're in those moments where we're being lured away, he's not turning his face away until we're done. No, he is calling out to us and he is interceding for us. That means that in temptation, he's not a liability, he's our helper. 
we can turn to him to find a way out. Earlier on in Hebrews, we read, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus himself faced temptation, he beat temptation, and when we are being tempted, his heart goes out to us, it's not turned away from us. That's never a justification to embrace doing wrong, but a motivation to do what is right, to turn to him. As John writes in in his first letter, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Jesus is always interceding for his people. So we can turn to God at all times, no matter what's going on. Times of temptation, times of sadness, times of joy, times of grief, times of disappointment, times of excitement, whatever it may be, we can even right here and right now, be bold enough to go to the God of the universe, to pray to the creator of the world, the holy, upright, righteous one who is above all things, who destroys sin with his very presence, against whom all our wrongdoing stand as rebellions. We can go to him in prayer with things as trivial as a bit of a sore tummy, with things as shameful as our darkest secrets. And he doesn't unleash his righteous judgment on us in that moment, but he listens and he cares and he loves. Why? Because this same God is also the lamb who was slain. Jesus who took our place on the cross, who paid the penalty for our sin and who right now intercedes for us. It's because Christ truly does reign on his throne that we can respond the way that Hebrews calls us to respond after it finishes this powerful section on Jesus as our great high priest. It says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled clean to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. Now, what sort of times in this busy end of year period could you use this reminder to draw near to God with a sincere heart which has been sprinkled clean? You know, what about that stressful end of year work task which is infuriating and drawing the worst out of you? What about the stressful end of year work colleague who's also infuriating and drawing the worst out of you? What about that unbearable, rebellious teenager who's stuck at home during school holidays? What about that unbearable, control freak parent who's also stuck at home during school holidays? That that anything, we can find the mercy and grace to help in time of need because Christ always lives to intercede. That's not the vague vibes of a nice idea That is the true hope of our present reality. So if you're a Christian, how could you follow Jesus in in more full, in deeper, in better ways than you already do if you leave here deeply convinced to the bottom of your heart that he saves completely and that right now he is interceding for you? If you go into every part of your life knowing that he is more patient with you than you are with yourself, that when you fail, he doesn't talk to you as viciously as you talk to yourself. 
let alone as viciously as the devil talks to you, but that he is interceding for you. That moment by moment, he is presently sustaining you and applying the salvation that he has earned. That is a comforting reality. Jesus is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. But that's also a challenging reality because of that line, those who come to God through him. Because that's not everybody, right? The only way to find forgiveness of sin, the only way to be reconciled, to be made right with God forever, is to have your conscience washed clean through Jesus. He offers this living water of eternal life to all who come to him, all who repent and believe in him, but that requires the repentance and belief, right? We must see and acknowledge our need for forgiveness and come to God through Jesus, because if we haven't, then he is not our interceder. The stark, difficult reality is that if your trust is not in Jesus, you don't have an interceder between you and God because there is no other one to intercede. There can be no other one to intercede. That reality is confronting, but it stands to highlight the far greater reality of Christ's love for you. He calls you back to himself. He calls you to to repent and to turn to him with faith. If that's you, please take a moment to chat to a Christian friend. Talk to one of the staff team. We'd love to share with you the life which is found in Jesus. Because his heart is gentle and it is lowly. He will not cast out those who come to him in faith. Will you accept your need for him? Do you have an interceder? We all need one and Jesus is the only one and he always lives to intercede. What is he doing right now? Where is he right now? Jesus is reigning in glory right now. He is interceding for you, for me, for everyone whose trust is in him for salvation. Where was Jesus when you last sinned? He was reigning in glory. He was interceding for you if your trust is in him. Where will Jesus be when you're on the way home? He'll be reigning in glory. He'll be interceding for you. Where will Jesus be during this week when you face tough things and you mess up and you're trying to get it right? He'll be reigning in glory. He'll be interceding for you. Where will Jesus be and what will he be doing when all of us have passed on to be with him in glory? Well, until he returns to make all things new, he'll be reigning. He'll be interceding for all of his people because Jesus always lives to intercede.